Ultimately, what caused Jesus' death? You know, some medical professionals say that it would have been respiratory failure, that he suffocated on the cross. Others suggest that it was blood loss. Some guess it was a ruptured heart. Well, today on Through the Bible, our teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, takes us to Psalm 22 and tells us what he thinks happened in those final moments on the cross. I'm Steve Schwetz, inviting you aboard the Bible bus for an up-close and personal account of Jesus' suffering and the glory that followed his death. But first, I want to welcome Greg to the studio and invite him to talk with us about a key consideration that's really foundational to our ministry. So welcome, Greg. Thank you, Steve. And uh, thanks to all of our listening family. I was just thinking about how people are gracious enough to write and encourage us that these conversations are helpful to people. And that's our only goal is yeah. to help, encourage, stimulate, uh, provoke people to uh, Bible engagement. And and one of the things we like to do from time to time is focus on our core values and we always say that these values are not some abstraction. They are very real in the decisions we make and the actions that we take. And so one of those core values is to offer Dr. McGee's teaching and the Word of God in as many different media as possible. Yeah, absolutely. And and we want to accommodate the different ways that people like to engage with the Bible. Yeah. You know, do you like to do it in a group? Mm-hmm. Well, we've got home groups available yeah. for you. Do you like to do it alone? ton of options there. Do you want to do a little every day? Or are you more like the Netflix guy that binge watches an entire book of the Bible yeah. or binge listens to yes. an entire book of the Bible? Maybe you listen on the radio or maybe you use one of your other, that phone that's always in your hand or a tablet, a computer, whatever. Or maybe it's a combination. Yeah, and I think that's an interesting uh, word. The combination, I think, for a lot of us is the way we consume it. Now, I often, uh, when I'm driving up to Los Angeles, I live about an hour and a half away from uh, some of the places we have meetings, I often will catch through the Bible on the radio. And what we know, radio is an awesome a medium, yeah. but sometimes you only catch the first 15 minutes right. and you think, oh man, I want to hear the rest of it. Well, then I just open up my, my podcast and I just go forward. So there's, there are many different ways to pick up the program and stay with it. And that is what's so exciting about the world we're living in today. Yeah. And also we don't just stay in the audio world. No, we don't. We've yeah. got the five volume set. Yes. Along with the index volume. So it's yes. technically six volumes. That's true. I use that Many times when I'm studying, yep. I'll listen and want to hear what Dr. McGee said. And it's basically a, a modified transcript of, of this program. Um, also, they come individually as individual books. If you want yes. to just get a particular First and Second Corinthians, you can get it in an individual book. And then our new, my personal favorite sleeper resource is the Bible <laughs> Companions. Companion. Yes. yes, I think that's going to be a huge resource in the years to come as we hopefully get more people involved in small groups in the U.S. and yes. in Canada. Yes. We've been doing it over, uh, you know, internationally for a while now, and it's had huge success. I've now done it with my small group uh, in the book of Acts. Great, great resource to have. And I love it because I get people listening to the Bible bus and getting excited about Dr. McGee's teaching when they weren't really listeners before. Yeah, because, you know, and it's very important to distinguish what our priority here is. It It is not for people to listen to Dr. McGee per se. Yes. And he alone, he would say that about himself. Yeah. It's, it's to, to be a window to point people to the word, the systematic study of the word of God, or we might say Bible engagement. Yes. And that's always been our goal. And yes. even if you, even if you end up not listening to through the Bible long term, if you get 
into God's word, and, yes. and we get to play a small part in that. It's mission accomplished. Yes, may the Lord sense. bless you, and may you continue to grow in your faith. Yeah, it's such an important point. We're not we're not touting Doctor McGee. We're touting the Bible, the Word of God, and and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you know, we can explain this till we're blue in the face. Yeah. Let's let's hear from Frank, who really illustrates uh, this this dynamic beautifully. Yeah, he's a retired truck driver from Illinois. He says, "I've been on the Bible bus since 1989. Me and Doctor McGee traveled together, crisscrossing the country in my truck for years. I remember we were in Des Moines when we were studying Romans, and in Denver." When we went through Ephesians and Philippians, I'll never forget leaving Los Angeles while Dr. McGee was leading us through Leviticus. I never understood Leviticus until then, still learning now. When I talked to my wife on the phone every day, we'd share what we learned on the Bible bus that day. Now I'm retired and we ride the Bible bus from our kitchen table every morning. We take turns listening online to the regular scheduled program or through the app to our own study, depending on the day or our Bible book of the month. On the weekends, we listen to the Sunday sermon and any of our favorite passages that we listened to during the week. My wife is glad I'm home, and I'm grateful for her company on the Bible bus in person. Thank you for making the program available in so many ways. We are getting good at telling people about the Bible bus and hand out the Bible bus passes. Yay! Yeah, and they're really helpful in telling people we meet all about what we've learned from Dr. McGee. Thank you for sending us another pack of all three passes. We use the listen passes the most, but sometimes we give out the other ones too as we see the need. Thanks for inviting us into the mission of taking God's word to the world. I'm used to hauling freight, and now I'm glad to now be taking the whole word to the whole country. Oh, I love that turn of phrase. <laughs> yeah, that is wonderful. Yeah, yeah. And and Frank, you know, just thank you so much for your testimony. You were a, a trucker for so long and you were faithful. You were faithful to God's word. You're faithful to your wife. May God bless you in these retirement years. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless Frank and the many other people all around the world that are listening to this program now. Open the word to them so that they might understand and love Jesus Christ more. Bless the programs that goes out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's begin our study of Psalm 22 on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now, friends, we come back to this very marvelous 22nd Psalm, and the first section of it is the humiliation of Christ, the last part, the exaltation of Christ. Now, we have made the statement that this psalm puts down on the cross of Christ an x-ray so that we are not reading the Gospels now where you have the historical facts given of his crucifixion. But here in this psalm, you penetrate right into that darkness and you hang with him there upon the cross and you see it as he sees it. You feel as he feels there. Now, this psalm opened with that awful cry and all of the seven last sayings of Christ are in this psalm here, either given verbatim or else we have the background for him saying what he did. And this is that plaintive and desperate cry of that forlorn man forsaken of God. He says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Now, here we have actually the human sufferings of the Lord Jesus. And I want to emphasize this. It's his human sufferings. We see him hanging there as a man. 
the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Listen to what the writer to the Hebrews says in Hebrews 2.9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. Yes, by the way, he was made a man because we're lower than angels. Why? Listen to the text. For the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. Now he bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins might live unto righteousness. Now as the perfect man, he learned to depend and rest on God when he walked down here. He said, I do always the things that please him. And in that desperate and despairing hour, he was abandoned of God. No place to turn. He couldn't turn to God. He couldn't turn to those beneath the cross. They were crucifying him. And his friends and those who loved him were helpless. Now, why did God forsake him? But let me read on here. Will you notice? It says here, Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season, and am not silent. Now, what was happening here? He was forsaken of God, we say, and yet we're told that at the same time God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And John says in John 16:32, Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own shall leave me alone. And yet I'm not alone. Because the Father is with me. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Now, will you notice what was happening? He was made sin for us. He was holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners. Now, the why is not the why of impatience. It's not the why of despair. It's not the why of doubt. Because that's my kind of why. I say, to the Lord sometimes, why? And there's doubt in my question. And there's sometimes impatience. And there's sometimes despair. Now, this is the human cry of intense suffering, aggravated by the anguish of his innocent and holy life. It is the awful and agonizing cry of the loneliness of his passion. Friends, he was alone with the sins of the world. Why? Well, verse 3 says, But thou art holy, O thou who inhabitest the praises of Israel. He was holy. God is holy. And when Christ was made sin, there had to be that separation, that bifurcation between the Father and the Son. Now, have you noticed that it says here, Why art thou so far from helping me from the words of my roaring? I want you to notice that. At his trial, he was silent. As a sheep before her shearers was dumb, he opened not his mouth. But yonder on the cross, he cries out like a wounded animal, like a lion, my friend. It was the plaintive shriek and wail of unutterable woe. And you know, no gospel writer actually describes that. Why? Some of them were there and heard it because I don't think they could have described it at all. Now, if you move on down in the psalm, he says, Our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted thou didst deliver them. And they were sinners, but they cast themselves on the mercy of God. But his 
Death is different, you see. And now we're told, he says, but I'm a worm and no man, a reproach of men, and despised by the people. And what did they do? Well, notice this. We read, all they who see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, he trusted on the Lord that he'd deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. You see, that was literally fulfilled. And what was it he said? What was his reaction to this? You see, the victim on the cross begins to take note of the brutal mob and the hardened spectators beneath the cross. And they stayed there. They shouldn't have. After they got him on the cross, they should have left. But they stood there, ridiculed him, and then sat down and watched him die. And friends, you can't go any farther than that. All the venom and the vileness of the human heart was poured out like an open sewer there, like the deadly fangs of a poisonous snake. I think Saul of Tarsus was there because he called himself the chief of sinners. And that's where the chief of sinners were at the crucifixion of Christ. Now, what's his reaction to this? Listen to him. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Now, if he hadn't said that, they would have committed the unpardonable sin. Now, he beholds not only the eyes of hate down there, but he sees the eyes of love. Will you notice this? He says here, as they ridiculed him, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted him. But now he sees someone else, sees his mother. Verse 9, But thou art he who took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's body. Now, what was it he said there? Woman, behold thy son. And you'll recall that back yonder at his first miracle, when he began his ministry, you remember she said to him, they have no wine. He says, mine hour hasn't come. I'll clear you someday, but not now. Three years later, hanging on the cross, he says, woman, behold your son. Mine hour now has come. In three days, I'll be back from the grave. I'll clear your name. And he did that. This is a marvelous, wonderful psalm, by the way. Now, as we move on down in this, and I'll hit some high points now, he says, verse 13, they gaped upon me with their mouths like a ravening and a roaring lion. That lion, I think, is Rome. The Gentiles were there. And then verse 14, he says, I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within me. And what a picture you have here. This is a picture of crucifixion long before it was a public method of execution. And in crucifixion, there is that excessive perspiration. And we're told that his heart melted within him. You remember John tells us about that. He noted that when the spear went in his side, there came out both blood and water. I think it can be said. Now, I know that medical science and many Christian doctors, they've explained this from a medical standpoint. But from my standpoint, he died of a broken heart, ruptured heart. John's the one who took note of it. Now, in verse 15, he says, 
My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws. Thou hast brought me to the dust of death. Here's where he said, I thirst. And they gave him vinegar to drink. Now in verse 16, I read, For dogs have compassed me. Who are dogs? Gentiles. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. This is a picture, by the way, to see crucifixion. This is when they pierce hands and feet. And then verse 17, I may count all my bones. They look and stare upon me. Now, friends, I believe this was his greatest humiliation and suffering. He was crucified naked. It's very difficult for us to comprehend in this age of nudity and pornography when apparently neither men nor women have any shame today. And that, by the way, the nakedness of this hour reveals how depraved we've become. You know, an animal goes around with at least a fur on it, but man today who was made without the hair and without fur, no covering, so that he could cover himself. And today, he's taken it off. That reveals our depravity. Our Lord, I think, was greatly humiliated in his crucifixion, and it was a great suffering for him. Now, verse 19 here. This was fulfilled on the cross. But be not thou far from me, O Lord, O my strength. Haste thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my only one, from the power of the dog. Now, you'll notice in your translation, it's my darling, but the New Schofield Bible has it accurately, my only one from the power. And what a picture that is. And it's here that he says, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Now, will you notice verse 21? Here is a picture of the cross, if there ever was one. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns. Now, I think here that the New Schofield Bible has the wrong word. They say wild oxen. I don't think so. I think that the unicorn is proper. Now, this is a prophetic picture of the Roman cross. Now, the unicorn was thought to be a mythical animal. That is, you find it in Greek mythology. But recent investigations have found out there was this animal that had one horn, animal of size smaller than the elephant, very much like the rhino. And you know, many of them have one horn, vicious and brutal and a killer. And that one horn, I think, is a picture of the cross. You know, there are two words that are translated by the cross. And we think of the cross as being an upright with a cross bar on it. But you'll find out that the Word of God has two words that are translated cross. Neither one of them mean upright with a cross bar over it. For instance, in Matthew 27, 40, we read, Thou that despisest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Now, what is that? That's stauros. That doesn't mean what we think of today as a cross. And it's the same word Paul used when he says the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. Now, I think it was just one upright. I don't think Rome took time 
to make up some nice, pretty little crosses like you see stuck around today on different buildings. I don't think that at all. I think it's just one crude, rough upright, and they nailed him to that. Now, the other word is zulon. That just means piece of wood. And it's called a tree, if you please, in Acts 13, 29. When they had fulfilled all that was written to him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. Well, no tree is in the shape of our cross day. It's just the trunk of a tree. That's all. That cross became really the tree of life. You remember the tree of life in the Garden of Eden? Somehow it got moved out, but here it is. You want life today, you come to him. Now we have a radical change in the psalm, a real bifurcation. We have the sufferings of Christ. We've had now the glory that should follow. Now will you notice verse 22? He says, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Now he says in verse 23, Ye who fear the Lord, praise him. All ye the seed of Jacob, glorify him and fear him, all ye the seed of Israel. You see, this is the glory that should follow. And here I will declare thy name unto my brethren. That's interesting. Simon Peter that day speaking to these people said, There's none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. I'll declare thy name among the brethren. Now, will you notice? We have two other words of Christ from the cross. I'll have to move down and pick them up. Verse 25. He says, My praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear him. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. Now, we have here one of these words. What is it? The thief on the cross. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And the Lord Jesus said, I'll remember my vows. (laughs) And the meek are going to eat and be satisfied. And that poor thief finds out he's going to pay his vows. Lord, remember me. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Now I drop down to the last verse of the psalm. It says, They shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born. That's the reason you and I are hearing it today that he hath done this. That he hath done this? Yes. What was his last word? It's finished. And this is it. He hath done this. A finished redemption presented to the world 1,900 years ago. He did on the cross all that is necessary for your salvation and mine. And the focal point is that cross and the six hours he was on it. He said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And on that cross, in those last three hours, in that darkness, it was spiritual light. He's there paying for your sin and my sin there upon the cross. My friends, that last three hours becomes all important for you and me. For it's in that last three hours that that cross became the altar of God on which the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world was offered. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He put him to grief, and he treated him 
as he must treat any sinner because he took my sin there. He paid the penalty of it. And by faith today, I can appropriate that because he said, as Moses lifted up the serpent, he'd be lifted up. And whosoever believe on him, and whosoever means Vernon McGee, and whosoever means you, and you, and you, and you, wherever you are today, it means you. But it means you'll have to reach out in faith and trust him as your Savior who died for you on the cross. Now, that brings us to the end of this very wonderful psalm. Now, next time, we're going to look at another one. And it's so wonderful. And that's Psalm 23, the most familiar passage in the Bible. But you couldn't have Psalm 23 without Psalm 22. That's how important Psalm 22 really is. Until next time, may God richly bless you, my beloved. To take your study of Psalm 22 a little deeper, download Dr. McGee's free digital booklet titled The Cross Divides at ttb.org forward slash booklets. And if you'd like to be in touch with us, email BibleBus at ttb.org or call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE. I'm Steve Schwetz. See you next time as we continue our great adventure through the whole Word of God. Today's study with Dr. J. Vernon McGee is brought to you by Through the Bible, and it's made possible by the generous prayer and financial investments from listeners like you on the Bible bus all around the world.